starting a new series called Convictions. And um, I wanted us to take a look at, especially in the world that we live in today, of um, what's really the difference between what is a conviction and what is a preference. And not just in our world, but in the church world as well. And if, you, um, if you've been raised in church, I've been raised in church my entire life. I don't remember the first time I went to church, which I'm very thankful for. Um, and we can easily take for granted. But you sometimes pick up some things that you end up being, at times, maybe very dogmatic about. And it's really just a preference. It's not really a conviction. And how do we know when something's a conviction versus when something is a preference. Now, for example, churches at times, we can get very dogmatic about what is a preference and lose sight of that. So here's some, uh, here's some um, examples of when churches think preferences are convictions. And I got this from a website, Church Answers, um, which uh, I follow from time to time. And some of these are legit have happened. Some of these are a little funny, and uh, some of them are not. Some of them are a little sad. But, like, for example, there was a church that had an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Like, should it be this long? Should it be this long? There's just some things. There was a fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the same land for a cemetery. That might be a sign you have some problems in your church that uh, maybe you could do both. No, maybe not. I wouldn't recommend that. A fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. Obviously, you need to go go with the one that he where he has blue eyes and blonde hair. That's obviously the way Jesus looked like. By the way, if maybe you're new to Christianity, all the pictures you see of Jesus are just an artist rendition. We don't know what Jesus looked like. We got an idea because of what Middle Eastern people look like. Um, I'm sure there's some blue-eyed Middle Eastern people somewhere. They're probably unicorns. But Jesus probably had brown eyes, dark hair, and probably darker skin. He wasn't as pale white as what I am, I'm sure. Uh, A petition to have all church staff clean-shaven. Now, some of you might go, amen, too many beards on this staff. But that would be an awkward conversation for some Methodist churches. Just saying, just saying. A argument on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. (laughs) Obviously, you just need to bounce it out with some angel food cake. And it, (laughs) it it cancels it out. So what's the difference between a preference and a conviction? A preference is something that you prefer, which, by the way, it's okay to have preferences. We all have preferences. I'm sure if we were to ask, you know, what do you prefer, Clemson or South Carolina or this game or this, you know, team? We, we all have our preferences. There's nothing wrong with preferences to a point. We all have them. But something you prefer, it can change depending on the circumstances. A conviction, on the other hand, is unchangeable, no matter what the circumstances. Many in today's world hold religious preferences rather than religious convictions. Now, um, what we need to do as believers 
is develop biblical convictions. And when we make preferences, convictions, this is what it leads to. It leads to a lot of hurt. It leads to a lack of spiritual growth. Here's why. It ends up leading to legalism. So I'm going to give you an example. All right. Um, I appreciate the way I grew up. I have godly parents um, that are in church and really, really appreciate them, how they raised my brothers and, and, and me. Um, there were some churches, though. We didn't go to, to a lot of different churches. We didn't church hop. We stayed at, I think, three primarily main churches our entire lives. There's one church in particular that my parents were not this way, um, didn't raise us this way, but the church was this way. Um, was, and, and they taught this as convictions at that time. But really, it was a preference. So, Believe it or not, and some of this, this might blow some of your minds, okay? But um, ladies, you could only wear skirts, dresses, and, um, and, and cool lots. That wasn't mine. I think that was somewhat, uh, anyway. Uh, or cool lots. And some of you right now are going, what, what's a cool lot? <laughs> it's basically MC Hammer pants that are shorts. That's really what they are. Use your imagination. That's, they're terrible. Yes, they're terrible. They also had the view that men, you only wore pants. Praise God. You know, you didn't wear shorts. If you wore shorts and you showed off your chicken legs, man, we had some problems. Some also was taught was that the only music, not just in the, but even in the Christian music world, the only music you should listen to is Southern gospel music. Now, a couple of you are like, amen, because you love Southern gospel music. And nothing wrong with that if you love Southern gospel music. Some of you are like, Southern what? Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. It, it, it's, and, and some of it's wonderful. It's good. If you've heard of the Gaither Vocal Band, that would be an idea of what Southern gospel is. There's, there's some wonderful good stuff in Southern gospel. But the idea of if you, you have to listen to this segment of music, even in the Christian world, everything outside of it. Man, if you were to listen to, to at that time, um, there were some groups that, uh, you know, Third Day or Stephen Curtis Chapman, you are a liberal Christian. What are you doing? Like, oh my goodness, you need to only listen to Southern Gospel music. And some of you now are going to go listen to Southern Gospel music, and you're going to go, uh, I like this. Or you may go, man, I, I would not have stayed in, uh, in that church. But what happens is we end up taking something we prefer, nothing wrong with the preference. There's probably some ladies in here, you don't wear pants at all. Like you, you just, you're about wearing skirts and you're wearing dresses and that's fine. But when we take our preferences and we try to make them biblical convictions, and I appreciate maybe the aim originally on it of like, of, of, of purity and, and trying to be modest. And as Christians, the Bible does teach modesty. We can agree upon that because that should be a conviction for men and women that we should be modest in the way we act and in our dress. The Bible, the Bible is pretty clear on that. And so there is a line. And where is that line? And that can be where we get into the preference um, issue. But it can even, it can even be pushed over into Bible translations. Some of you know this, some of you don't because you're new to church, but can go down that if, man, if you're not using a certain translation, then you're just using a rotten translation that's not of God. And there's some who teach that. And I personally disagree with that. 
Um, and that's a whole other matter within and of itself. And maybe you know what translation I'm talking about, and that's great and wonderful, and I hope you love it. I still have my very first Bible I preached out of was out of that translation. It's good. It's wonderful. It is the Word of God. But it's not the only translation which God is using. For example, if you, um, you go down to Honduras, um, they're not using that translation. In fact, 80% of the world's not using that translation. And, and you could dive deeper into it. Um, but um, we won't today because only about 10% of you would probably want to hear about that. And the rest of you might go to sleep. And I don't want to put you to sleep. But I do want to get down to this. Is that true Christianity is to be believed and practiced with conviction. And on the flip side of the coin, even though I disagreed with some of the so-called convictions that were really preferences in that church, this is one thing I really appreciate about that church. They loved the Word of God. They had conviction about the Word of God and following it, even though they may have gone overboard in some areas. And that I greatly appreciate. And this is what I do see in our culture today. Our church, I say church culture. I'm including us, but I'm also including the church world in a general sense. I hope you understand that. Is that we are not standing on the word of God and the truth of God's word and saying, oh, wait a second. This is what the word of God says clearly. Now, I understand there's some things in God's word that may not be very clear. And we may have some disagreements in the church world. That's fine. But. When the word of God is clear on a matter for all believers, and there's, I mean, it's clear as day. We need to stand upon the word of God and stop bending to secular culture that's also coming into the church. And we're seeing more of that. And I love the church. And it breaks my heart when I start seeing well-known pastors, mega church pastors, bending the knee to the culture and what they believe, what moral, uh, really moralism, bending the knee to moralism and what the world and the media say, this is what is right and this is wrong. No, no. We get our convictions as Christians, not from the media, not from the world, not from a TV show that makes you feel good, but from the word of God. And we should care first and foremost what God's word says before any other word of anybody else. Because we love the Lord. See, biblical convictions can't be passive or just preferences. They must be deeply held and internalized. Those convictions should not just exist in our head, but be displayed in how we live our life on a daily basis. True Christianity is a way of life practiced because we deeply believe in God and the authority of his word. Our conduct should be driven by genuine and unyielding desire to please God. And every believer, our desire is, I want to please the Lord. I want to please him. And our beliefs must be proven from God's word and strongly held. And maybe you've heard it this way before. There are main issues there are what we would call secondary issues. And there, you could say there's even thirdary issues. But really, in other words, there's hills that you're willing to die on issues in Christianity when it comes to doctrine and convictions that are very clear. And there might be some things that are secondary that you have opinions on, you have your preferences on, but you're not 
going to die on this hill type issues. And to me, it's a sign of maturity and growing in your faith when you realize there is a difference. Because, man, I, I know I jokingly talked about, you know, about the restaurant, and that's how church splits start. But you'd be amazed at some of the silly things that churches, when, especially when they're not structured right, will argue over and split over. I mean, churches have split over the color of the carpet. They've split over what light bulbs to use and how bright of a light bulb to use. I mean, like, there's some really silly, but yet really some sad examples out there that just break your heart. They make you wonder, what are they doing? So how do we get these biblical convictions? I want to turn your attention first to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. When it comes to how do we find our biblical convictions that help guide our life, that help us love people, and also love people by giving them God's truth. And, uh, and so 2 Timothy chapter 3, I also have it on the screen here for you. And so our convictions are based off Scripture. Our preferences are not. Our preferences might be connected to Scripture, but they're not clearly. Convictions are clearly based off Scripture. The Bible is inspired. It says all Scripture. Now, when this was being written by Paul to um, Timothy, he's letting them know all Scripture. Now, all of the New Testament wasn't written yet. It wasn't closed yet. There were other books to be written. And so when he says all Scripture, he's in reference to all Scripture that had been written at that time so far. And, of course, we have God's Word. It would also would eventually include the rest of the Bible that hadn't been written yet. So all of it. Every bit of it, the Old Testament, the New Testament, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Leave that passage there just on the screen for me if you would. I want to break down a couple things. All scripture, every bit of it. Recently, in the last couple of years, there was a well-known pastor that said that it was time to unhitch from the Old Testament. And it broke my heart because I realized this man I respected was really just an idiot. And don't get on me for saying the word. I don't use it lightly. When I see one, I'll just call it out. Now, I haven't done this really on a, a Sunday morning message. Um. But I, I really am considering maybe even having a segment of message one day of false teachers that are out there. He said, man, that sounds like you're just like picking on people. No, I, I don't want to do that. But when you read the New Testament, how often they called out false teachers. But yet we rarely see that in our churches today. And we live in the information age and some people who are out there who never listen. If you listen to a preacher on TV, on your phone, whatever, and you realize that you're never, ever hearing the word repentance, ever, that's a red flag. It is a huge red flag. You never hear the word repentance. You never hear the, hear the word sin. Like, that is an issue. You're not helping people if you don't say, hey, you need to turn. You need to repent. How did Jesus start off his ministry? 
Jesus was loving. Jesus was good. He was God in the flesh. He started off his, his ministry saying, repent. That's how he started off. And a church that has a pastor who will not preach repentance, that will not preach on sin, man, I wouldn't waste my time listening. Especially one who says we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. Now, here's some things about the Old Testament you need to realize. Because I remember um, my grandfather got saved later in life, and he didn't know the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. And some of you right now are going, well, I don't either. That's okay. We're not here to make you feel like you don't know, but we're here to help you grow in your faith. And the basic difference is this, okay? So Jesus comes into the world, and they have the Old Testament. The Old Testament is good. It's from God. God, It's inspired. It's given. But Jesus came, as prophecy said, he came and he fulfilled. He didn't abolish. He didn't end the Old Testament uh, law. He fulfilled it. He fulfilled it. There's only one who could ever fulfill it. And in order to fulfill it, you had to be the one who was perfect. And Jesus was just that. He was sinless. He was perfect. He came. He, he died on the cross willingly, born of a virgin, dying for us. And when you read the Old Testament, here's a couple of interesting things. This is why we shouldn't unhitch from the Old Testament. Is one, you have three types of biblical law in the Old Testament. You have ceremonial law. You have civil law and you have moral law. Ceremonial law would have been the temple, the tabernacle, right? And then you have the temple and they would bring the sacrifices. Well, because Jesus fulfilled the law, we don't need to take a sacrifice. You don't need to bring the sacrifice to the temple. You don't, you know, the church isn't the modern day temple in the sense that you need to bring, you know, your fatted calf and we need to, you know, slit its throat out in front of God and everybody and then eat it. You know, like we don't need to do that because Jesus was that ultimate sacrifice. God provided a lamb and it was Christ. So, in fact, when you read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it says that was a foreshadowing of the things to come in Christ. Then there is civil law. You, know, you can go in our own American laws that are still on the books, and there are some silly things. I've looked them up before. You probably have heard. I think like in Minnesota, it's illegal to tie a, I think it's either an alligator or a crocodile to a light pole. And there's silly laws out there. Why what? Why do they have that law? Because there was some crazy dude, I'm sure, at one point in time that brought a alligator or whatever uh, up there to Minnesota, decided to pray, pray, play a prank on somebody and had an alligator tied to a light pole. And they're like, we're not going to have any of this again. And people now laugh at it 50 years later. There's some things we don't quite understand. I mean, you ever been to Minnesota? It is cold. Very cold. I don't know why people even want to live up there, but it is cold. There's things that people have. So when you read part of the Old Testament, you're reading 3,000-year-old Hebrew law. That was just for them. Now, why did God give that to them? Well, man, because of this. There was no order of that time. God wanted his people to stand out, to be known, so that this was his people, his his, um. Really, his wife, when you look at it, God the Father, his wife is Israel. And he wanted them to stand out. That's why he said, hey, I don't want you to eat certain meats at this time. Now we know New Testament, we're provided, God gave the thumbs up. You can eat all the pork and the bacon you want. Old Testament, he wanted them to stand out. He had certain reasons for for, um, telling Israel, like, this is what you're going to do, this is how you're going to do it. Some of that is civil 
law. Some of it we don't quite understand. There's some things in the New Testament, there's more grace. In fact, some will put it down and break it down into seven different dispensations or times of how God dealt with mankind and people. And you can break those down all the way from Adam all the way to the age we're in today. And so part of the Old Testament, for example, um, uh, Adam and Eve would have been kind of the time where they didn't have the written word of God. So how do they know right and wrong? Well, God told them, but they also had their conscience. And then it went from conscience to, um, I wasn't planning on sharing this, so I'm just going off the top of my head. I may miss one. But it goes, I know to Noah, um, it goes to the time of human government. Abraham was promise. And, um, of course, today is the age of grace. There's technically seven of them. The seventh one is the thousand-year millennial reign. We live in different times. But yet people in the Old Testament, how did they come to follow God? How could you say they were saved in the Old Testament? The same way we are today. We see this with the example of Abraham. It was by faith. Abraham was saved by faith and was accounted to him righteousness. We are saved by faith today as well. Looking back at the cross. They were looking forward to the Messiah. We are near the Messiah has come. And so some will look at, look at the Old Testament. And, uh, and every now and then I hear someone usually, man, I tell you what. There's some crazy people on some of these short videos giving some crazy advice of not knowing really anything about the Bible. And church, we need to be up in knowing the word of God. So we know where to stand. So we know where to stand as believers. And so all scripture, all of it, is for us. Bring that um, Bible verse up again, if you would. Second uh, Timothy. All scripture is inspired. God breathed. This is a spiritual book. This book does something to people. I mean, you can take someone, I don't know how many testimonies I've heard of someone who's down on their luck, they're at the end of their rope, and they're in a hotel or motel somewhere, and they look in the drawer, and there's a Gideon's Bible there, and they pick up the Gideon's Bible, and they start to read, they can't put it down, and the next thing they know, they're on their knees on their bedside, giving their life to Christ. How and why? What happened? This book is a spiritual book. It is inspired because it is inspired. It is God-breathed. It is a spiritual book. And it is useful. And you need to know how to live this life. You need to know how to live this life. And many are believing that same questioning that Satan questioned Eve. When she said, well, we can't eat of that tree. And what did the serpent say? But did, get, did, but did God really say? And when you see certain well-known pastors going, but did God really say? I go, oh, I know who you are. I know what you are. And some of it is surprising. I'll give you one. You can go. Check in, all right? You love his dad. I love his dad, Charles Stanley. His son, I wouldn't mess with. It breaks my heart. You want to know why? Because I've been to his conference. I've been to Andy Stanley's church. I've walked the halls. I've been there. 
Just go check it out. He's the one who said, just, we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. And um, just other stuff has come out. I'll preach on it. I'll bring his name up again later on in this series. Let's go check it out. When people and preachers start saying, but did God really say, red flag, move on, don't give them the time of day. Some people believe the Bible is just a collection of stories and fables and myths or merely human ideas about God. This book, though, has been written by 40-plus different authors over a period of 1,500 years. And if you were to take the manuscripts, the Old Testament and New Testament, the Old Testament, uh, the manuscripts itself would be a mile high when you put them, if you were to stack them. If you were to take the New Testament, it's a mile and a half high. We have a lot of manuscripts. If there was an error, if there was a contradiction besides simple variants of misspelled words and maybe misspelled names, because they didn't have a dictionary back then, right? Um, I mean, you, you could point easily to it. And people love to say the Bible is full of contradictions, yet they don't know where a contradiction is at. And when they do try to show one, it's very, very weak. And I've tried to find contradictions in here. And what you get is oftentimes it's just a different viewpoint from some of the different gospel writers. And listen, the word of God, it is accurate, it is true. And when you end up looking at just the New Testament alone, we have copies of some of the different um, passages of the Word of God from the first and second century. We have full Bibles that date um, the Sadducanus and Vaticanus 300 to 330 AD. And we have even more than that. We have writings of the early church fathers that quote scripture. I mean, there is a ton of stuff out there. We've been covering some of this on Wednesday nights. I want to give this here to you. Maybe you can dive in a little bit more if you want. But evidence that demands a verdict by Josh and Sean McDowell. Sean is the son of Josh McDowell. Sean McDowell as well is on YouTube, has a great channel, follow it, recommend it. But evidence that demands a verdict. It's a thick book. It's about that book. Uh, I would invest in it. It will benefit you, you church, of, of studying some of that things out to be ready to give somebody an answer. And some of that goes around from time to time. And... Um, I'm going to get back to this conviction part here in a moment. That goes around was that how the early church ended up getting the Bible. Some will say, well, we got the Bible at the Council of uh, Nicaea in 325 and Constantine, who basically helped start the Roman Catholic Church. And it's not where the church, church of the Lord Jesus Christ started, but that's when it became politicized. In 325 B.C., that's how you get the Roman Catholic Church. And Constantine, who was the emperor, who was the leader there, said that he became a Christian. I'm not quite sure. I'm not really sure if I believe that or not because of some of the writings and some of the things. I don't know if he was trying to use Christianity for political gain or what. But it said that he dictated what was going to be in the Bible. And you hear this. You hear this on popular podcasts. Here's the problem. Christians, stop believing everything you hear by people who don't know any better and just take the word of other people. This is how, this is how it ended up happening. So you have the early church, and Paul's writing these other churches. They're taking this writing, and uh, that sometimes it was on papyrus, which were um, their, their ancient paper that was made out of reeds and it was dried. Sometimes it was made out of lambskin and you know, used as a, a scroll. And those would be copied and sent out. So you end up having so many different copies at these different churches. 
And uh, so they could have the word of God because they had questions. They had a ton of questions. And they're writing the Apostle Paul and the Apostles going, what about this? What about that? And the Apostles are writing back. And some of that was Scripture. Some of it was not. God chose. We don't need that. But some have the idea that, um, that in 325 at this council that Constantine decided this is what's going to be in the New Testament, this is what's not going to be in the New Testament. Here's the problem with that. And I know some of you have heard that because I've heard that personally. Is that one, um, according to the notes, man, they even took notes back then. It wasn't even mentioned. That wasn't even discussed. And two, when they actually did verify this is what the churches agree upon which should be in the canon. Canon means closed from Genesis to Revelation. But in this, in this issue was not the Old Testament, but the New Testament, Matthew through Revelation, all the churches voted. And that happened in 397 A.D. and Carthage. Constantine died in 337 A.D. So that would have been real impressive if Constantine had been there to pick out those books. So history really doesn't support that. Why do I mention that? Because that's one of the things that goes around. All Scripture. All Scripture. Every bit of it. And it just continues. You go into the Dead Sea Scrolls and you see that it just verifies what we already had. I mean, found um, in 1948. It was probably hidden between a little before B.C., probably A.D. 70, when the Romans came in and took Jerusalem. They hid those scrolls. They preserved them in a dry, dark, cold place, and they were preserved. And when you end up looking at those passages in Bible, they found every book of the Old Testament except for the book of um, Esther. And you compare them, other than misspelled words, which are in punctuation, they were the same. God's word has held true time and time Again, and there's more you can dive into and get into. But if listen, if the Bible cannot be accurate by the manuscripts in which we have, okay, of Jesus dying in AD 30 and his eyewitnesses, which all died martyrs' death except one, which is huge to me. I mean, if I was an eyewitness to something, that was a lie, and someone had a knife to my throat. Like, you know what? We were just kidding, y'all. I'm out. But they didn't. Why? Because they saw the resurrected Christ. And they couldn't deny it. They found something worth dying for. And they lived for it as long as they could. And so, if the word of God is not true, nothing else, nothing else in ancient history can be considered true have been written from Homer to Aristotle to even Caesar himself. Because the earliest copies range from 300 all the way to 1,500 years after the original was even written. With the word of God, you have less than 100 years. Nothing comes close. Listen, the word of God will change you. Hebrews tells us this, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between the joint and the marrow. It expresses our innermost thoughts and desires. Keep that passage there. When you read the word of God, it is going to change you. 
And man, I, I have other books that are good and great, self-help books, counseling books, and they're all good and they have their place. And I'm not saying don't, you know, I'm not saying ignore those books. There's some wonderful books on marriage that are very, very helpful. But the number one thing, Christian, that will change you, that will give you conviction and nowhere to stand in today's world is the word of God. That's what you need. We need more of the Bible in our lives and less TV. We need more of God's word and memorizing God's word instead of memorizing statistics of, of the game or this, that, or watching too much YouTube. I mean, we watch a lot. We take a lot of content in as people. And I like those things too. But it has to be a place. It has to be a time when you're praying and you're dedicated to the Lord. Is that a conviction for you? Or have you put it in a preference area or a convenience area in your life God wants all of you and our zeal for the truth of scripture we must never forget its purpose is that we may know God and have life through Jesus Christ and to be equipped to do his will we should not study God's word simply to increase our knowledge That's part of it. Or to prepare us to win arguments. We should read and study the Bible so that we will know Christ and know how to do his work in the world. Our knowledge of God's word is not useful unless it strengthens our faith and leads us to do what God wants. And what if a Christian doesn't read and study the Bible? What will happen? Here's what will happen in your life. And scripture alludes to this and talks about our spiritual senses not being very sharp. In the book of Hebrews. But you'll lack clarity. And in the, in the fact that you won't know. Um, you'll, have a, you'll have a hard time knowing right from wrong. I'm not saying you won't know right from wrong at all. But, but what will happen is you'll lack clarity. Especially when things heat up in your life. And heat up in society of what is right and wrong. You'll have a hard time um, figuring out what is right and wrong. And uh, here here is also, you will be an easy target for the enemy. Just as a serpent came to Eve and said, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? There's times in which he's going to come. We're going to be tempted. If Jesus was tempted, we're going to be tempted. We have an enemy. We know there's spiritual warfare. We know that's a real thing. You may not always be able to see it, but you can feel it. You can experience it. And the enemy will like to say, did God really say you need to be faithful to your spouse? They've treated you poorly. They've done this. They've done that. Or, man, did God really say that you need to be honest at your workplace when you end up you know, having an opportunity to take money or to try to justify it in some way or cut a corner here or cut a corner there. I mean, there's, you could go on. We end up lacking clarity. We end up being an easy target for the enemy. Here's also, you'll lack direction. You'll lack conviction, and therefore you will lack growth. You'll lack growth. Ultimately, you'll lack conviction for what truly matters what truly matters and you miss out on all that God had for you I had a story in the Bible to go with this but I'm only like on the beginning part of page two of my notes and I have four pages 
and I'm not getting through that. This is why I wanted to do church a little shorter today than normal, but we're going to end up praying over our missionaries. They say, when they become missionaries, well, every Christian who says, Lord, save me. Lord, I'm here to follow you. Every one of us are missionaries. Your mission field may just be here in Florence. Your mission field, if you go overseas, like farriers went to Poland, they're in Poland. Christian, wherever you're at is your mission field. We have the gospel to share. The gospel about the resurrection, the, the life, the, the birth, death, and, 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 and resurrection and, and of Jesus Christ. And it's so easy to get in a point in our lives where we end up going on cruise control. Where we just focus so much on our own little world and forget we were saved by God to stand out. We were saved by God to go against the flow. And the temptation we all have is to go along with the crowd. The temptation is just to keep floating down the river and not make any waves. When you end up seeing someone swimming and going against the grain, going against the stream, we go, who's that guy? Who's that woman? And as Christians, God has called us to shine the light, the light of the gospel in this dark world. And some will make fun of it. Some will think that you're crazy. Some will look down upon you and may not even want to be around you. But rest assured, this world we live in is not our home. We're not home yet. Our mission statement here at Southside is to know God and to make Jesus known. It's not just to know God. It's action to our faith. And I pray that we'll look at people who are around us, maybe even people we may not even get along with, maybe as a neighbor, maybe as a coworker, and look at them the same way God looks at them, as someone who is loved and he is seeking to reach out. And that we'll pray for them, we will reach out to them, that we won't give up. We have a job to do as believers. We were never called to be a secret Christian. So our convictions, what we believe. We believe the Bible is the word of God. We believe that the Bible changes us. And we believe as Christians, we have a mission. And we should not take it lightly. I want us to pray and have a time of reflection. And I'm going to ask the Thompson family and the Dean family if they'll come down and I'll ask our deacons to come down and lay hands on them as we'll pray over them. And I hope that you can make it to our commissioning service today at four. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, 
There's some this morning that they don't feel worthy to be used. And what they don't realize is they're believing in a lie from the enemy. They're exactly, they're exactly who you want to use. Throughout scripture, throughout life, throughout the church world, you continue to use broken people. You continue to use messed up people for your glory. Why? Because people can relate to messed up people. They can relate to people who've been saved by your grace and changed. So may they stop believing that lie. May they stop believing that they're so broken and used up that they could never find grace and forgiveness from you. Father, I pray that if there's somebody here or somebody watching that they've never given their life to Christ, They know about the Bible. They know about church. But they've never had a time in their life where they repented of their sins. You see, we all are sinners. We were born sinners. And staying in our sin, the Bible is clear that we can't get into heaven. In fact, the Bible is very clear that there's a place called hell. That those who reject the gospel, those who reject Christ, cannot enter in and won't enter in. God's a holy God and he will only allow holiness in his, in, in heaven, in his domain. And he's made a way. Christ is the way. And maybe that's you. And you can repent and give your life to Christ right now. You can pray, dear God, forgive me of my sins. I'm giving my life, my faith, my belief. I'm all in on Jesus. Forgive me, help me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.